If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Marleya. Hey, Courtney. Hi, Patrice. Hi. How we're here. Ladies, I know. It's been we're a- here. Yeah, we're here. We're it's- all ready to be done with tornado season before April starts. Absolutely. Um, oh, yes. So I am so, yeah, I'm so ready. Like, well, I'm waiting for the spring break, like, wave of covid that's gonna happen to Mm. see now that we have and i think they said alabama had like it was in the lower percentile but maybe 20 percent like at least had their first uh vaccination shot so i got mine i got mine i got mine i know so we are planning a cinco de mayo episode for when uh, marlea is officially fully vaccinated so we can return <laughs> to the pod basement so excited Woo-hoo, i know <laughs> i told her i was going to cry she's like it's gonna be Cinco de cryo <laughs> i was like yes it is going to be Cinco de cryo, Cinco de cryo. i think oh. maybe like to celebrate maybe we should do like south of the border stories or something we've never that's like, a good idea left like the united states south maybe we should do some well we did once i think i did the chupacabra oh yeah you, the chupacabra had some stuff that was yeah yeah but kind of yeah, we bit. could totally we could do that yeah. that's allowed right we can do yeah. whatever the hell we want so oh absolutely yes <laughs> so, i need to plan the drink i need to start now in case i need fancy the cinco things. de cryo mm. episode cinco de cryo looking forward to it, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and i'll be done with my teaching everybody will be vaccinated we'll be crying with each other inside in the basement we got to kick my husband out mm. um, we got a new couch Yay! So, I'm nervous. Your couch is very light colored. I'm afraid it, that I'm going to dump shit on it. It is. That's okay. I mean, I need to buy you a couch cover. We got the new refrigerator. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, we got. Oh. I, I got some more lights to put down there. Pod basement 2.0, baby. 2.0. We've got the uh, Christmas gift and art. Uh, like Randy did this, the cross stitch for oh, us, yeah. the, the embroidery for us. So we got a hang right. down there. We've Yay. got all the things that's so going to go down there. And yay. That's just excitement and yay. And uh, tell us about this drink because I feel like this drink is the drink. light Keep. at the end of the tunnel. That's what yes. I have. And it's it, appropriate for what we're saying now. Absolutely. And it is it is like liquid sunshine. Do you it. love it? I love it. Oh, it's I need so to post yellow. the picture. Oh, I, I love it. Yellow. I don't want to call it the pollinator. It does look like it's, <laughs> you know, if you live in the South right now, you know, it's the most beautiful, well, unpredictable, scary mm-hmm. weather. And on top of that, if you go out 
and touch anything, you will have yellow all over you. Oh, yeah. Well, you just go out and breathe and you can yeah. breathe the thickness yeah. of the air. It's like everybody's sinuses are all stopped up. Mm-hmm. and agitated and but this is the light at the end of the tunnel because we did go to huntsville this week scanned for a short Woo-hoo. trip mm-hmm. lots spring of outside break. activities for so much break. outside and, and we got like the two days where we could actually be outside without being dumped on so that was yeah. kind of spectacular yeah I was we went to about an y'all. outdoor restaurant bar lawn area uh, called the stove house uh, was the bar what well, was, was pretty yeah, cool. the whole place was called no, the, the whole place house. is yeah. called the stove house and they have big communal open areas all 100 open air with um like tables for seating everything was spread apart they were mandating masks mm-hmm. it was like cleaning all the time and just you know like seven different restaurants little takeout restaurants to choose from around the edges and lights and the right. bar is very cute we loved it yeah so it was my first cocktail that someone else made for me Yay. in over a year i've made cocktails as we all know yes <laughs> but i've not have. had cocktail made <laughs> and so this was on the menu and it fit in my new anti-inflammatory diet that i've been on this year because it has ginger and turmeric in it so it's a it's delicious it's a tequila drink really um i made it with 1800 uh silver orange juice and i made a uh, ginger turmeric simple syrup oh. and um lime fresh squeezed lime juice oh, and wow. honey mm. and honey well that was in the simple syrup i have i have the oh, simple syrup okay. recipe and the yeah i have to make just that simple syrup just yeah. to like put in stuff that just mm-hmm. sounds delicious especially delicious well, with tequila it's yeah. healthy it's it yes, <laughs> very, very healthy. It's all the things we need tequila, ginger, juice, tequila, tequila, turmeric. I never say turmeric right. Well, yeah, but every, okay. I, I don't know. You're not the only person who says it that way. I just assumed that that was right when you started saying turmeric. it. I was like, oh, that's how we say it. Turmeric, it's spelled turmeric, it's spelled turmeric, but I say turmeric. Yeah, I would say turmeric, but it's turmeric now. That's what we say now. That's what we say but now. Cheers. If you want to sit it's... at our table, that's what we say. <laughs> you can see the little ginger flakes and it's fresh ginger and cheers, ladies. Cheers. cheers. Everyone listening. Oh, ginger's the best. I used to buy crystallized ginger from um the decab market in Atlanta, the international farmers market or whatever that the um, uh, that's there in mm-hmm. big packages, crystallized. So it's like little cubes of like almost like gelatinous ginger just covered in sugar crystals. Yes. And I would just pop them like candy. They're so good. They are so good. They might not be healthy. They yeah, it's probably 50-50. Yeah, that's okay. I'll take that. That's okay. We'll take that. It's still anti-inflammatory. Yay. Yay. So everybody is safe. We did have a lot of weather come through last week and we mm. were very fortunate. Um, really this past tornado episode in Alabama surprised me because mm. I was not expecting it to be as bad as it was. And it's early. It's, it's yeah. early. And they didn't like really I thought this was going to be more over in Mississippi. It's like I moved from Mississippi to Alabama, so I wouldn't have to deal with all of this weather. And it just followed me. Um, But yeah, it was really sad. We like, was it six people killed? Is that the count now? In uh, five in 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 Calhoun County. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really tough because, you know, we had a tornado hit almost three years ago. Um, it's a little over now. A little, a little over, over three, years. three years ago. Mm-hmm. I just feel for those people because I did too. you, I mean, I know everybody in Jacksonville was like having major PSDD. Um, just PTSD. Thank you. I always get get initials wrong y'all it's just like my brain it's just like starts in the middle and then it's way out with initials and that's the way it is so yeah so the stress of it absolutely yeah Uh, and then as I found out like you know because our neighborhood um, was hit really hard with the tornado that went through Jacksonville and they quarantined and shut off barricaded off our neighborhood Mm -hmm. And for like two or three months, it was like every single day with chainsaws. Mm -hmm. And I think the stress and the anxiety that chainsaws, hearing chainsaws every single day gives me that I know that people are going to, are going through right now. Not that the chainsaws are bad because they are there. Like, I mean, we had like, we lost 10 trees in my little lot, um, that my house sits on uh we lost a lot of trees and it was just every single day because everybody lost so many trees um it was just a lot and I just know that that's what they're going through a lot of people don't have powers a lot of people don't have homes mm-hmm. um and I really feel for those people so if you can look up um United Way Central yes. Alabama or East Central Alabama Calhoun County Uh, or even if you want to give to a different county that's fine and just throw a little money at them uh, because every I mean people have lost people that that really didn't have much to begin with have lost everything um, including loved ones so I really feel for them also James Spann (laughs) our amazing weatherman uh, and the man yeah, he also had his home hit uh, by a, the tornado when um, while he was, he was live on air. On, while he was yeah. on air, it was crazy um, because he was sitting there like reading off like this is where it is, you know, take cover as he does street every, by street, like street by else. right, yeah. and he is so good, and everybody in Alabama and uh, East Mississippi depends on him. And he was throwing out like some sayings, like, what was that one thing? He was, uh, I forgot what it was like, hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. Like he was throwing <laughs> out some Southern like sayings. It was like, I was writing them down. I was like, I have not heard of hanging in there like hair in a biscuit. And um, that prompted me, uh, you know, to do, look up some more southern sayings and we'll talk about those in the after show i've got Ooh, some, yay. some southern sayings some of the things that he was saying just like really made me laugh mm-hmm. um, and that was great uh oh the other thing that i want to touch on is we have a couple of new patrons this month yay patrons thanks patrons so we have uh, melanie and jeff from parental advisory um, oh, podcast yes. yes thanks guys we appreciate y'all so much i mean slowly but surely we are still here it's been um <laughs> how long has it been y'all has it been two and a half years oh my almost? gosh i was like Is it's it? been a year i was like no it's been longer than a year because we had a one-year anniversary and then we yes. had well pandemic 
two pandemic years, yeah sort of the yeah. pandemic too right so it's been over two years we are still finding stories and still enjoying your company we are and we are Yay! like so like we're, we've all been vaccinated almost 100 percent, and we are Very talking close. about live shows and we're praying that these new covid variants just stay the fuck away mm-hmm. and that everybody just chills the fuck out so that we can come back and <laughs> yes do some road shows for yes. sure that'd be so much fun I do that's it. one of our favorite things to do besides mm-hmm. hang out with each other in the basement is to <laughs> go on the road and meet everybody and swap stories and it's really great because we i've had like a bunch of um dms and inbox uh stories that have come in from our listeners and stuff and one of them i'm doing tonight one of the stories i'm doing tonight and uh, it's really great to have people that you know from different areas that know different things i mean obviously we're not going to know everything and there's only so much that you can get from the internet mm-hmm. um so it's really it's really cool um also, I added a, uh, since we did the Sasquatch erotica, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I, I added the, Sas- the Sasquatch squad no. level of membership on our, what? <laughs> on, on our Patreon. So if you want to pay $15 a month, you could have Marleya read the- <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) That would be our $100. (laughs) But this is for $15 a month. This is our, um, you know, kind of obviously higher end patron. But I thought like every time we have a t-shirt that comes out, you would Mm. get the new t-shirt for the $15 a month. Oh um, yeah, that's patron. a good deal. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things I love designing t-shirts. T-shirts. (laughs) And, you know, Every time that we have like a new saying or something, you know, maybe throw one out there. And we do have a t-shirt contest with our fans right now going on. Which is awesome. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, it ends April 1st, which is this week, which by the time you hear this, it's probably already going to be over. But you'll be able to purchase the winning t-shirt uh, at cost from our Redbubble store. And if you do the Sasquatch Squad level of our Patreon, and then you'll get it for free. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know, right? I love it. I'm so excited. I am so excited. We have so many like clever, clever artistic creatives on our, in our group. Oh my gosh. I know. Yes. And if you join our fan club, which is, there's been a few people that join that haven't like listened to the podcast, but most of everybody's listened to the podcast. And we've got like this really nice, small community of like-minded deranged weird people it's like-minded <laughs> because we are deranged and weird people um there's so been some like, fun posts in the last oh my years. gosh total fun post there's and some people who are really going for it on there yes <laughs> and so we've got we've got our squad already set up if you want to join the squad and be part of the pack um it's a lot of fun very lighthearted, very caring people on there um, mm-hmm. with crazy, wicked sense of humor. <laughs> yes, come join yes, us. Join us. Join us. <laughs> well, awesome. You've got, you've got all the stuff. You've, you've cleared away all of the, uh, 
Oh my gosh, my brain. I'm so sorry. My brain is just, I'm going to be struggling for words. <laughs> That's okay. It's been late nights. Um, tornado well, warnings last night because we, yeah, were we had to drag so. our yeah we had to drag our weather radio to huntsville weather radio and um try and figure out how to reconfigure it so that it could get other counties thing at first it didn't work and then it's like we're up at four in the morning trying to figure just out like how to fix this morning. Just, so, then we end up from four o'clock on we end up with like sirens and texts and notifications and, and calhoun <laughs> county on top of madison county so we were getting <laughs> both so we're i'm i'm a little i'm a little i know i was really like when i texted y'all this afternoon i was like mm-hmm. are y'all sure y'all want to do it this afternoon yes you know yes but yes. <laughs> yes please yes i know i've been missing y'all so i missed you too man how right. many weeks are you past your second are you two weeks uh yeah i'm two weeks last thursday so She's fully i'm fully protected back. i am sorry marlea i will hang out without you oh, God. just kidding just so kidding. rude <laughs> so oh man anything else ladies i can't think of anything i talked a lot and no that's awesome that was great you did you're doing the business i i for once right you know what? marlea usually carries me no I'm i like, do not <laughs> yeah right and I, I thought, well while you were doing that see you've still got a full drink and mine is gone <laughs> <laughs> While you were talking, was... second drink. <gasps> Ooh, don't you see my flush face? Do you see how red I am? <laughs> what am I gonna oh, do with y'all? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm watching. So I can't good. Keep I can't y'all up in drinks. I just spent my time figuring out how to make a ginger turmeric syrup today. <laughs> That's my news. So and I love. And it, it is... took a minute. It's so good that I cannot stop drinking it. <laughs> Had to get the ratios right, but I think I got them. They're good. It's good. Perfect. Perfect. Oops. <laughs> All right. So I think I am going first. I think you are going Correct. first. Yes. Okay. <sighs> Dolly, be with me. <laughs> Dolly. That's what I'm going to Oh, and everybody, they brought... Man, Marlea and Courtney are like the best friends you could ever wish for. Because when they go places, they bring you stuff back, and it's always the best stuff. So I am sporting my Dolly shirt that says "She is the voice of our revolution" from Green Pea Press. Mm-hmm. Yes, from Green Pea Press, and I got a little bag of spells. And yeah. then a little um, bag of Zodiac. What is it? Zodiac stuff? Stones. Yeah, stones. Stones. Yeah. stones based on your, yeah, your Zodiac. Yeah. So every stone has a meaning for your, yeah. Right. So, right. And that not, was from, that's from the place where apparently all the witches hang out in uh, Huntsville. Yeah, so we'll man, have to they're... talk more about that place in the mm-hmm. after talk a little bit too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was hopping. Oh, wow. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> all right. I'm all about some witch core. <laughs> all right. So this story was brought to you by a listener named Emma. And she is from Phoenix City, Alabama. And she emailed me and she did some research. And one of the first opening things that she said, she's like, hey, you know, 
listen to y'all, love y'all. Uh, the story that you did uh, about Tony Joe Henry. Oh yeah. Henry, was it you that did the story on Tony mm-hmm. Joe Henry about the, yeah. the first and only woman to be executed in Louisiana? She's like, it was through your episode that I found out that I'm related to her. <gasps> no way. Yes. And so oh I was my like, God. what? And she was like, and by the way, I did like all this research on my hometown, Phoenix City, Alabama. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to share. And thank you so much, Emma, uh, for sharing because- yeah. I, I dug deep and tonight's story is phoenix city alabama also known as sin city whoa oh y'all don't know i know i just know maybe that it i know doesn't a have little. an o that's I don't all know. isn't it it's phoenix okay. without an o isn't that the thing that's yeah, all i know phoenix about phoenix city without, <laughs> yeah it, it's not like phoenix arizona spelled it's it's p-h-e-n-i-x and it they think it's named that because there's a phoenix mill so oh. I think it's named after that. But anyway, it started out as um, two as a city that, or it is a city that bridges two counties. So it bridges uh, Lee and Russell County down in Southeast Alabama. And it became incorporated in 1883. And it lies just across the river, the Chattahoochee River from Columbus, Georgia. Uh, and it, the weird thing about, I mean, there's several weird things about it as we're going to find <laughs> out, but unusual about it uh, now is that, you know, all Alabama is central time zone. And then once you cross the Georgia line on the east side, then it goes eastern um, time zone. Well, uh, Phoenix City is like one of the only cities or one of the only towns in Alabama that is actually Eastern. So they go by Eastern time zone. Yeah. I know, right? You know what? Doesn't Arizona fuck with us that way too? Is it, isn't it Arizona? <laughs> they just don't change the time. Thing? They just don't change. And yeah, uh, Colorado. You can't just make your own rules, Phoenix. I think Colorado does the same <laughs> well, thing. I know people who live there and worked in Phoenix City and part of this because they work in Georgia. I mean, they just really are right there. Right. Well, and what they yeah. say is that really Columbus, yes, they're considering exactly. Phoenix City kind of as an offshoot of Columbus. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, and that's that's the reason why. And, uh, you know, that part across the river has about um, 32,000 people. So it's a kind of a nice small town, you know, nice size small town. Hold on, y'all. I got stink bug. Oh, I hate those little fuckers. I'm going to have to do something with them. They, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. they swarm. They're all over my house last year. Yep. They were Sorry. bad. The, I don't know if y'all get oh. stink bugs. Those little, those little flat, flat little brown suckers. And if you squish them, they stink. And if you step on them, they stink. And if you kick them, they stink at you if you scare them. So there's really like no way that you can get rid of them without stinking some. I hate them. And they also, they've gotten to where like they, I didn't used to have them. I didn't used to have stink bugs. And then just in the last maybe three, four years, they're everywhere. Oh, I know. Okay, sorry, go ahead. All right, no, that's fine. Phoenix City. Phoenix Eastern City. Eastern time so zone. Eastern time zone, 32,000 people roughly live there, which is about the size of my hometown, Columbus, Mississippi. So a little bit of history about Phoenix City, just like uh, Columbus, Georgia. 
uh, sitting on the river. They're river cities, and there's always something about river city and river city people that are a little bit different than people who are landlocked. And I don't know, uh, I, the river definitely plays a huge part on, on the, you know, what these cities have become or what these cities used to be. But back in um, 1890, so they started off uh, when it became incorporated, not being called, it was like two different cities um, across from Columbus. And then like 10 years later, they kind of com combined each other and they you know, named themselves Phoenix City and the history, you know, because it's a port, Columbus is a port town and they're right there on the river. Uh, their history goes way back further, but I didn't want to get back further than that. I, but it is important to know that, you know, the river plays a huge part in this. And this town, Phoenix City, claims to be like the last battle of the Civil War um, where it was fought, which was the Battle of Columbus. They say that it was fought actually there in uh, Phoenix City. Uh, so Phoenix spelled differently than like Phoenix, Arizona, named after the mill, but it became notorious. And actually it was like notorious before then because a lot of river cities, port towns where you have like the uh, import and export coming in. And, you know, before, electricity before, um, you know, any kind of technology. This was like the place to like do sneaky stuff, to like come in, <laughs> drop stuff off, and then leave in like the dead of the night. And it's not like, you know, you can have cops on jet skis to go after people. <laughs> if you're on a boat and you do something and then you leave, unless you've got a faster boat, that person's getting away. So it's like the perfect place for uh crime shenanigans shenanigans uh and in the 40s and 50s uh phoenix city really became notorious and this is where it got its name sin city sometimes it was called sodom oh sometimes uh uh well not sometimes it and, but it was called this because it was run by what is known as the Dixie Mafia, basically. <gasps> Ooh. They had a red light district uh, that supported much of the larger Columbus, Georgia area. And more importantly, a lot of the traffic came from Fort Benning, the um, base there uh, nearby. And everything imaginable that you, you know, could want to do uh, every vice that you had, you could, you know, go to Sin City and um, find gambling, prostitution, bootleg liquor during Prohibition, drugs, illegal lotteries, backroom abortions, excuse me, baby stealing. And there was even like a school of safe crackers. And ah. if, if I... <clears throat> I didn't look this up, but I'm pretty sure like they started manufacturing like their own dye, like gambling dye. Um, to cheat with? To cheat with. Loaded dye and, <laughs> and also marked cards. They I think they produced uh, cards there too. Um, and like marked cars and whatnot. So, so you know, like, yeah. Wow, the industry of sin. It was. <laughs> it was the industry of sin. Uh, prohibition in the 20s. Uh, 
they were very popular. And in the 50s, like right after the war, organized crime bosses, you know, came in and they bribed like local and state law enforcement uh, to kind of ignore, look the other way, you know, ignore public intoxication, ignore gambling, ignore prostitution. And the leaders uh, of the, this crime syndicate that came in here uh, was like, the names was Jimmy Matthews and Hoyt Shepard, which is not really important to kind of the story line here. So, you know, two syndicate, two families that, you know, basically ran everything. Um, and they, they were part of the community. Everybody knew them. It wasn't like they were, they were hiding in plain sight. So they tried to like, you know, shine a positive light on what they, not necessarily what they were doing, but actually just them being there. They, you know, gave money. Um, they integrated into the community. They were very uh, calculating with their motives, like who they gave money to, mm -hmm. whose little league they supported, uh, you know, construction companies, they gave to hospitals, they gave to churches, helped churches be built. So they were very, you know, cunning and methodical. And as long as like people were benefiting in the community, were benefiting mm -hmm. from it. They kind of like turned. That's organized crime 101. Yeah. Right. Turned That's the other cheek. the mafia exactly. is made yeah. it for so many years because. Yeah, absolutely. Of those reasons. So, you know, they had the sheriff, the judges, the chief prosecutor of the county. All of them were on the take. Um, prostitution and gambling was probably the biggest thing going on there. And there are like two strips um, next to the river, two streets next to the river where most of all of this happened. And, um, you know, the rest of the community was like any other small southern town during that time period. But they were obviously benefiting from all the money that was coming, coming in um, because every time, like, you know, Every weekend, every night, they're getting people from the base, getting people coming over the state line from Georgia. Um, so it was bringing in like so much money. And even when they would like arrest people or they would find people, um, it just all kind of cycled back into the community and whatnot. The lawmen um, would come in and they would they would do rights. It wouldn't like, you know, they would just let them do whatever they wanted to. They would put up the pretense of like, yeah, we're coming in to raid y'all tomorrow night <laughs> snap, at seven. Snap. Yeah. <laughs> and usually it was set up by the crime bosses because their machines would be old and they would need new ones. And so they would, you know, chuck them oh. out and get new ones, you know, so anytime like the slot machines got too old, they would have a raid and then they would come and get new ones. Oh, wow. Um, and everything was, was like pretty rigged. It was like famously rigged there. People would lose pretty much every penny that they had in the gambling parlors. All the games were rigged. Uh, the prostitutes there, I'm sorry, the sex workers I'm sorry, uh, that worked there were notorious for drugging the soldiers who came over and then robbing them. Mm. There's a lot of um, 
there's a, or not a lot, but there's some stories out there saying that anytime like the soldiers would want to come over and visit Sin City, that you didn't go and just like one off or two off or even like three soldiers coming over. If you wanted to visit, you came in like a gang of six or eight for protection, for their protection, because they would get rolled by the sex workers or um, would lose all their money or they would get beat up. Hmm. So Fort Benning, uh, which was just across or, or was just being built across the Chattahoochee River in 1918, was basically one of their main revenue sources. And it would be so young soldiers, that was like their first time away from home. They never drank or they didn't really drink hard. They're hitting the bars, they're gambling, they're visiting the cat houses. And it is estimated um, that 80% of like the 80,000 personnel spent more than half of their paycheck in Phoenix oh my City. God. So there was so much money. And this is like back in the 50s. They were making about 100, 100 million a year, which would be about 1 billion a year today, just Shit. off of these soldiers coming in constantly. So it was the Mecca for illegal booze during Prohibition. And back in, like after the war, and even during the war, the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Division stated that this small town had more per capita incidences of venereal disease <laughs> and violence than any other city in America. So, Gross. you know, Phoenix City, Alabama was like the capital of venereal diseases in the oh, 1950s. God. Dirty Phoenix. Dirty Phoenix <laughs> Dirty City. Dirty Phoenix City. Did you say in the 1950s? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and you would think like along with all the other clinics there that there would be doctors to help treat. But I guess they got treatment on the base. I'm sure that was a common thing that base mm -hmm. doctors would just, you know, yeah, OK, you got the clap. Yeah, here's a shot kind of deal. Um, but it was a lot that was and you know, Fort uh, Benning did not really like phoenix city at all because they were like stripping they were taking advantage of these young soldiers and they didn't like them so much that the uh, united states secretary of war during world war ii uh called it the wickedest city in america and general george s Patton, who was stationed in fort benning during world war ii publicly threatened to cross the river and flatten phoenix city with his <laughs> tanks <laughs> <laughs> so they did there was no love there for the city but they couldn't stop the soldiers because they were literally just walking across the bridge to you know <laughs> to go have fun mm -hmm. uh i found a bunch of soldiers stories uh there's like things oh, here and there <laughs> and uh one of the soldiers stories was talking um let's see does this, you get to read the erotica this week? Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, a lot, a lot of, you know, they said, it says, my buddy T had an arrangement with one of the ladies at Ma Beaches. And we'll talk about Ma Beaches later. Uh, she rolled him after the act. And while, while to get his wallet back, the Phoenix City finest showed up 
So, so basically he got rolled by one of the sex workers and took all of his money. And so they went to the cops there and the cops showed up and they got busted, not, you know, not uh-huh. the sex workers. And so they got locked up and they broke out of the truck door and ran. And then the police there opened up with their pieces, oh, but shit. they had like, he said that, but damn poor shots. Thank the Lord. They were all built beer belly cops and outrunning them was no sweat. And, um, it says, by the way, T not only got rolled, he got the clap as well. <laughs> that was pretty much, you know, a normal evening there. They called the, um, they called the gangsters that lived there zoot suitors. So in oh, this, in this cute. telling here, it says zoot, su- zoot suitors versus Fort Benning paratroopers. And they said in uh, 1943, there was a big to-do between Phoenix City zoot suitors and troopers, which are basically the soldiers. They gathered at the bridge. I can see it like, here comes the and they said that they were throwing individual troopers in the river so they were throwing the soldiers in the river word got back to the bus station in columbus and about 50 soldiers headed to the bridge minutes later the river was full of zoot suitors and the next day uh fort benning put phoenix city off limits so there's like all this crazy stuff happening and there is a series of articles in the Shelby, Tennessee Times by Brian Mosley that wrote like in 2005, he wrote like a five-part series because there's this one guy, Jack Culpepper, was a boy growing up in Phoenix City. And so I didn't get all, I didn't was, was not able to read all of it, but I got a couple of stories um, from the articles uh, about Jack Culpepper, who's basically an orphan during this time. And he grew up on the streets there and he he witnessed one of the main events um or the final event that put the kibosh on phoenix city and uh but before then you know he always found himself like in the wrong place at the wrong time one time he stumbled across two drunken soldiers who decided to reenact the uh william tell you know where William oh, Tell God. shoots the arrow yes. of the apple, apple the with the arrow, but they decided to do it with the gun, and oh the the soldier shot lower with a forty five than he intended to, and basically blew the guy's head off, Jeez. and it blew brains all over oh, this no. young child who was traumatized, and he went, you know he went to where he is living and he walked in and I think that he was out like delivering papers or something like that. And, you know, he comes in and he has brains and blood oh, all over no. him. And that was like, not an unusual thing. I mean, that's just like the kind of shit that always happened there. He oh. said he was riding in a taxi cab. He was sharing a taxi cab once and a guy walked up and pointed a gun at the taxi cab. And he said, he heard somebody said hit the ground. He's like, so I bailed out the door and the guy opened up on the taxi cab cab or the person that was in the taxi cab uh the mob or the gangsters that you know were part of the community there they encouraged you know the kids to come in and play the slot machines and you know it was a very community driven things because of course the mob's going to want to you know 
groom the next generation of thugs to come in um, and to do stuff. However, there was one person there that I've already talked about, Mob Beach's place where the guy got rolled, um, was run by a lady named Beachy Howard Parr. And she is pretty fantastic, honestly. And I wish I could find more about her. And uh, I feel like all this stuff I've already talked about, it's like, it's really her I want to talk about. <laughs> One second, got to drink my sunshine. <laughs> so Beachy Howard Parr was like this little old white haired, very meek, uh, 90, maybe 100 pound woman that was like, five foot tall and she had been married her first husband died when she was like 34 and left her with five children and really nothing else besides like a grocery store that was failing and no way to make money you know and a single mom at this time there there was no opportunities other than sex work and, at, mm-hmm. you know, five children, 34 years old, that was like not an option. So she found her a new husband and she, her new husband and her went to New Orleans um, after they got married and she became like enraptured with New Orleans and the nightclubs there. And so she almost took an apprenticeship to one of the nightclubs and she wanted to like learn everything about it. I didn't get much more information on that, but kind of from what I understand, she, I think she probably went to one of the nightclubs that had burlesque there. And that's like what fascinated her. And she's like, I can do this. So she came back in in 1937, she opened up her own spot and became the proprietress of Ma beaches. And, um, you know, that was her thing there in Phoenix City. She didn't visit like any of the booze spot that was run by, you know, the gangsters or anything like that. She had her own place that wasn't even on the strip. It was like back in this residential neighborhood in this old rundown house. And um, that's where she ran her club from. The only other club that she visited was her sister opened up a club because obviously it was the thing to do there in Phoenix City if you <laughs> wanted to make some money. But hers was more of like a bistro. And Ma's is so popular that only like people that couldn't get into Ma's would go to her sister's <laughs> uh, place called uh, Ada's Place. Ouch. And But her sister didn't mind. She was happy with the overflow. Um, because there was enough to go around. So Ma's, you know, Ma's place was unique because it wasn't on the strip and because it was kind of a dirty old rundown house in the residence. And it was like dark and there was like this neon sign that would point you to a trail that you would walk down um, about a quarter mile and you know, you would find the club. So it was like a little adventure to go to Ma's Mm -hmm. and you walked in and Ma would sit on a high stool and pretty much be like the queen of her kingdom there. Mm -hmm. And she ruled it with an iron fist. So, you know, being so short, she sat on a stool. She's the first thing that you saw when you walked in and 
you know, she was, they describe Ma as being like one of the kindest of people there in Sin City. And, you know, she got her name Ma from the soldiers, basically, because, you know, she was a, a matronly, a motherly figure to them. And she actually helped them out a lot. Like, you know, even though one of the sex workers there uh, that was at Ma Beach's rolled somebody it wasn't necessarily under ma that wasn't like her game mm-hmm. um the soldiers knew that they could give their wallet to ma and she would count how much money they had in it and it was basically she they would give it to her and because they're like i don't need to spend this money this is the money i'm going to spend and would give it to her to hold and then the, they said, like, you know, after they patronized the nightclub, they wake up the next morning and find a note in their pockets from Ma telling them how much they had and that she was holding it for them. Hmm. So, you know, she got the reputation of being that kind of person. Not necessarily, you know, she had every opportunity to steal from them. And because she didn't, they could trust her that way. And that way they would come and visit her more. It was good business. It was a good business. Um, but she didn't do any other work by sitting on her stool And when you walked in, you saw Ma and Ma saw you. And it was kind of like a two-way proposition. It's like, I see you, you see me. We know there's not going to be any problems. And um, she had like her little glasses and she would look Mm -hmm. over her nose, over her glasses at them. Mm -hmm. And she wore this like white uniform and she looked like a practical nurse. And she was very practical. Um, when you went there, the prices depended on how near payday it was. So she was very practical when it came to money in her wallet. Uh, the way she operated her house was a little bit different than the others. So the others was mostly gambling and um, ladies, sex work and stuff like that. But she was really in it for the entertainment. And that's why I think she she visited a burlesque there in New Orleans. Her shows, she would pick like the prettiest girls. Um, she had like six strippers. So she wouldn't pick them on talent. She'd pick them on looks. And she was like, you know, you're beautiful. And all you got to do is just go up there and bounce or grind or wiggle or whatever (laughs) it is. And then, you know, they would take their clothes off and shimmy a little bit and then leave. And that was basically it. There was no like lap dances or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then she would have like other parts of the show, which would be like the regular honky tonk uh, circuit of acrobats, dancers, singers, and usually like a filthy mouth master Mm -hmm. of ceremonies which you know I figure I would probably very well suited for that job (laughs) um churches you know her place was so clean even though it was like in a rundown building she ran a tight ship and church groups would basically visit her weekly trying to solicit donations from her I mean that was the kind of oh my god and she and there's pictures of her and she's like just this old she's like your grandma she's Mm. just like little old grandma sweet grandma but (laughs) the main thing you know I talked about um you know an event that Jack Culpepper saw when he was a young boy and I didn't get to read the article where he saw this event that turned Phoenix City around 
was basically um, an assassination. And what happened, a guy named Albert Patterson decided that he, he needed to clean up Phoenix City and make it a normal town. And so he ran for um, Alabama State Attorney General uh, and he won. And, you know, he was, he was talking about reform and all the stuff. So after he won, he actually was shot down in the street. Ooh. And this is what Jack Culpepper saw. And after, as soon as he was assassinated, um, basically that called in uh, the U.S. troops mm. and they declared martial law and several days of like, troops coming in angry crowds uh they were they were fired on by the crowds and they had rocks thrown at them when they came in so it was like a little war zone for a while when they came in and declared martial law and that basically was a turning point for phoenix city what Um, year was that uh 1954 54 so, yeah, so it's like, you know, during the war, it was like all like, woo, and then right after the war, um, it was still going strong, and then Albert Patterson came in, won, and then was assassinated, and that's when, you know, like I said, they declared March. It was like a really big, like, it made, like, national news, obviously, um, you know, talking about it. it really opened it up for everybody to look at, because it was like Alabama's little secret. Mm-hmm. Um and then with the assassination, it got national attention. They sent, you know, the U.S. military in to straighten it up. And during this time, my beach and my not beach, I'm sorry, my beaches would, uh, you know, she still had her four husky muscular bouncers because she'd get arrested all the time. And she's like, I don't know why y'all are arresting me. I don't do anything bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, she always maintained her innocence, uh, but she kept on her bouncers and two of her strippers and they would sit around peeling string beans with mm-hmm. mom. And, um, you know, so she maintained her innocence. She, he says she would not do anything with gambling. You know, she just did not, you know, I'm just sitting there on my stool and I am in, you know, entertain in the entertainment business. They come here, they see the show and they leave. However, you know, she had like, I think there's in the Columbus, there's like a museum, I think in Columbus, Georgia, that has like a stack of mob Beecham's, uh, cards that are her marked cards and like some loaded dice so there was gambling going on there um because you there was she had a reputation that the dice table there uh was you know pretty fairly squared like you could you could get away with like winning a game or two at my beaches until about 1 a.m and then after 1 a.m they were in it to take your money and, and she said, she's like, I tried to co- cooperate with Fort Benning. Uh, you couldn't have girls available if you stayed on limits. They were very strict. They inspected you there three or four times a night. Um, so, you know, she's like, I was just, you know, open for business, giving the boys, you know, what they wanted to see. And after, after the assassination, after they all went on trial, 
I think she was, I don't think she was ever charged. Like everybody went on trial and that's like a whole other podcast. And honestly, I'm not really interested in like the trial of all that. Uh, there's an article of Mob uh, Beaches and it's her on the front page and she's got a butter churner. And she's like, I didn't make any money. She's like, I'm flat broke. I've got like 47 cents to my name. However, she did buy like 300 acres of land. And she learned, she's like, I, I just learned how to churn butter. And just like what I do all day. It's like, so honestly, it sounds like, you know, when she retired, she's like living the like nice quiet life but I always like imagine mm. like maybe she's like running like moonshine out the back you know yeah. of the store or something like that one of the things that I did watch because I didn't know anything about Phoenix City uh, or its reputation to be kind of you know Sin City uh, they made a film about it so there is a film noir uh, called the Phoenix City Story that mm -hmm. I watched this weekend, and it's based on the assassination of this Alabama politician um, during 1954, and it's one of those films. So it was done like maybe 10 years after the fact, so not even the 60s. I don't think it was that long. It was maybe a few years after it happened. Like they mm -hmm. grabbed onto it. Everybody was fascinated by it. Hollywood was fascinated by this. Um, because it's like the mobs and I was like you know mobs are really big on the screen during that time right and so they the first part of this film is they're interviewing people there from the town it's like a live interview of like the sheriff and oh, cool. the janitor and like the people who actually lived there and knew the guy and witnessed uh you know the whole deal and it's really uncomfortable. It mm. is really uncomfortable because the guy giving the interview totally has no personal space limit. Oh, so he's like right up on the people like this. And he's like talking. I'm like, dude, you have to breathe back. And then you're kind of cringing <laughs> anyway, because if you're a Southerner, you have the cringe factor of anybody from the South being interviewed as far as what they're fisting to say, representing <laughs> the South. And it's always the worst mm. is always oh, the worst God. but it wasn't bad it wasn't bad everybody was pretty well spoken and they interviewed the um the guy that was assassinated they interviewed his widow and I was just kind of holding my breath like what is she going to say um I, I had a feeling that she was going to like and inv invoke god and the church and you know kind of the typical stuff that you hear people talking about the deceased and stuff and she did an excellent job um talking about reform she started talking about politics and mm -hmm. i was like oh maybe she should run mm -hmm. you know so she was very well spoken and she did a great job but it was a very interesting film phoenix fucking Alabama um, <laughs> who knew so thank you so much Emma I totally loved um, the story I love my beaches um, <laughs> thing about it is if you go to um, the river that divides Columbus Georgia and Phoenix City it's said to be a lot of cars at the bottom Ooh. a lot of slot machines at the bottom and a lot of bodies at the bottom Jesus Ooh, yeah city. when they cleaned it up they just dumped everything in the river and there were the easiest way bodies. to get rid of a body 
and Jeez. apparently it happened a lot so gross there you Bye, go phoenix baby. city alabama sin yes city. sin city well is it done. wrong that i kind of want it to still be like that uh. <laughs> is it wrong that i'm like oh. well, you know i went to a design conference like three years ago in columbus georgia and they were like they were reviving the downtown area mm-hmm. they were reviving the theater the, the design conference is actually there at the it was either theater or opera house it may have been an opera house there down and it was like a nice little area you know mm-hmm. they have the school there and so it was anytime that you have like a university you have like that energy of like mm-hmm. the students and um just new things opening and it, like it had a good vibe and then you saw like the bridge that you could walk over and go into phoenix city there that we, we didn't do that but um i really like i like that you know area that was kind of a cool little area great job Woo-hoo. loved it all right let's take a break do you want more strange south every week we can help you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter And you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. We have a through line. A surprise through line again, which is always a surprise. We have never, no, well, we've done it on purpose with like, we're going to do Mardi Gras or we're going to do, you know, but like, we've never, we really don't usually do intentional through lines. No, we Um, do not. We have like a very keen intuitive thing mm-hmm. brain um okay so almost like most of the information i got from this came from a documentary that i watched that was from i guess originally produced by oxygen channel and it was called uncovered the cult of yahweh ben yahweh dun, 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 which okay. i never heard of so neither have i it starts in Miami in the 1970s. <laughs> Picture it. Oh, Miami 70s? Awesome. <laughs> um, drugs. Well, not drugs. this drugs. way. Lots drugs of drugs and sex work. Okay. Well, this ahead. was, and this one is, it's racial divide. Miami in the 1970s was like all residential segregation, all like disenfranchisement, all kinds of just bullshit. City, just like seedy Miami. Yes. So, you know, the racial, uh, the sense of like a racial divide really came to a head, not for the first or last time in Miami. Um, December, 1979, there's a man named Arthur Mc. Duffy and he was a black marine and insurance salesman and uh he it's I I kept on thinking of Rodney King while I was reading about this because that one I remember this happened in you know 1979 Rodney King was like when I was in what middle school or high school so but this the whole story you know the the police attempted a traffic stop for this guy Arthur McDuffie um ended in a high-speed chase 
And then police reported that he had fallen off his motorcycle, tried to flee on foot and was injured from the fall and that injury caused his death. So over the course of the investigation of this, it turns out that he had stopped, been pulled off his bike, been beaten by six to eight police officers with nightsticks and flashlights. And then they had run over his bike with a cruiser to cover up their, to, to basically give themselves evidence of the story that they had decided they were going to tell. He fell on a bullet. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. He fell on the bullet nine times, like that kind of story. Yeah. So um, the the four uh, four officers were brought to trial on charges, including manslaughter, evidence tampering. And then in May 1980, they were acquitted of, of all charges. And they're still, I mean. And they still, and that's one of the things is like this, as I was reading this, I was like, wow. Nothing's changed. Oy. So, and it, much in the same way, protests started riots came out of the protests in the overtown or over i don't know if it's overtown or overton and liberty city neighborhoods in miami which were predominantly black predominantly poor neighborhoods um like two days of riots ensued and 18 people died and so this was the atmosphere of miami when hulan mitchell moved there um he was 43 at the time 1979 he was one of 15 children born to a minister, a church of God preacher um, in Oklahoma and his uh, church pianist. So Sorry. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I want to say so many things. I know. Well, it's like, we already know how these stories go. It's also, right. Part of it's always so predictable. Um, but uh, so people who knew Hulan, which is a like, or, I've never heard that name before, as a young how is man. It spelled? h-u-l-o-n okay that uh, sounds (laughs) yeah well they said he was like he was a person of action like as a young man when he started kind of coming to his own he was like that kind of person who wanted to solve problems they also said he was like a, a person who always wanted to help people so when he was old enough he joined the military which is you know sometimes the way that that goes and after that apparently he attended law school and then um moved to atlanta in the 1960s and there joined the Nation of Islam, which was, you know, it's, you know, it's the 1960s. Um, he stayed in the Nation of Islam for a while and then left that organization around 1970 to become a faith healing Christian preacher. Wait, is he is he black or white? He's black. Oh, OK. <clears throat> well, when you said Nation of Islam, but then you were also saying Oklahoma and then. I don't know. <laughs> okay. There are black I do think people they in have black people in Oklahoma, right? I know, but I'm imagining a 1960s white preacher man mm. going down to Miami to convert a bunch of I white can people. Totally, I, can <laughs> okay. see, I can see where, Against especially because the word, the, the name Hulan, pro, I mean, it would be just as likely anybody. I mean, I'm not trying, yeah, I'm not trying to Midwestern, anyone. Yeah. I just presumed it was the white man going down to cause some more racist bullshit. Not this time. <laughs> Not this okay. time for once. It's not that. Um, so, and he became, he, he started being like a traveling faith healer after kind of, I don't know if it's officially leaving the nation of Islam or not, but um, so it was at the end of this stint as a traveling healer that he arrives in Miami, Florida. Um, and there, I, I couldn't, 
I didn't research deeply enough to find out much more about his his young life or what his motivations were or any any of that kind. But he definitely didn't like waste any time creating an, a group of people like a tight knit community once he got into Miami. So it seems like he's been kind of working up to this. Right. Um, and, and just from I mean, I am totally just going to do my own little um uh, take on this because I am an expert in all of these things but <laughs> it just seems to me like that kind of personality feeds like you said he 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 liked to solve problems and he wanted to solve problems to do good a lot of times if, if this is going the way that I think it's going those people feed off of the idolation mm-hmm. of other people definitely um, you know oh he's a good christian man you know mm-hmm. and that's, that's how they identify themselves mm-hmm. um, but continue i'll be interested continue, mm. continue please well so he starts he starts gathering members of the city's black hebrew israelite congregations which was something i didn't really know a whole lot about either but he um he kind of drew drew folks together did you say hebrew yes Black Hebrew Israelite, which is the, so a a lot of, well, here, I'll explain a little bit more about his teachings, and this might clear some of that up, but he basically got people together in small groups and started, he started explaining to them that he is the son of God, Hmm. starts calling himself Yahweh ben Yahweh, Yahweh of Yahweh. And he starts to ask these, these groups of people to follow him in this new brotherhood that he's creating, which he calls the nation of Yahweh. So he uses scripture to make the case that Jesus and the prophets were black. And I'm like, well, you don't even need scripture for that. You just need like anthropology. Like right? now, now we know these things. Right. And people should have known them for all time. Come from but, the beginning. Um, all right. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm on board with this so far. I mean, like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he had a quote, you know, I preach because I preach that the black community is destined to inherit the earth. That makes me a radical. And I'm like, okay, you know, I can see. I'm, I'm, I'm anyone race claiming okay. that they're going to be is radical. Yeah, but yeah, and then you know, so he he preaches kind of a message of brotherhood, of um, unity in the black community, strength. Um, you know, deserving good things, which in that time, in that place was not something that, that um, people in some of these communities had really heard, told to or them very wanted much. to hear. Mm-hmm. So really kind of, you know, he, he drew a lot of people to him in this, in this really racially divided time and place. Um, and it's not for all bad things, you know, I mean, a lot of what I was reading of it, it was like, it's like, kind of like you were saying, like people who want to help people, people who want to do something, like you know, the God stones, something bad come out of something good. The Godstones sound awesome oh, until yeah. you realize that it was like a Nazi sympathizer or yes. a clan sympathizer that came up with it for mm-hmm. evil reasons, but go ahead. So, uh, so Yahweh ben Yahweh also used scripture to argue for his own like messianicness. Hmm. his own messianess yeah um he had striking greenish eyes and so he he would quote like a scripture i think it's a revelation or isaiah it's one of the prophets the son of man has eyes like flame of fire and he's like well look hey that's me like i'm the guy so by the time the riots ended in 1980 you know he hasn't been 
living here very long. He hasn't been doing this very long. But by the time the riots ended in May of 1980, he had enough financial support to buy up 20 properties in Overtown and Liberty City. And um, one of them was the Temple of Love, which was his church and headquarters. Hmm. So for the rest of them, he turned them into factories. He had a soap factory. He had um, oh God, a this lotion is like factory. Every other cult that we've right? ever talked about is but like- But it's weird because it's like, it's this it's the whole same story played out in this urban like it it seems like a different environment but it's the same story played it's, it's out. like temple of love which means he has his harem mm. and then we'll get to that and then the different businesses to support mm-hmm. his lifestyle to support it yeah so yeah a clothes factory he um he put in a yahweh grocery store which um is well stocked he created jobs see and this is the thing is it was it wasn't like he was just doing this in his own little commune you know he was he actually he basically bought a neighborhood or two you know he created jobs in the neighborhood he provided access to you know better produce and healthier foods at better prices for the people who lived there which we, they didn't really have at the time so right. and he also like he sent you know volunteer teams because you get something like this like a kind of a cultish environment and you know how excited people are to be there and they want to go out and give everything and they want to do everything so he's got all these volunteers and they go they'll go out and they'll clean up all this stuff they'll clean Sounds these properties top very to bottom. much like churches and what's going on right now yeah and they'll they'll keep them you know and they kept them pristine mm-hmm. and because of this this kind of played into the innate racism of the time because now the white community outside like, of they these can't be bad because look how clean they exactly are. they're like oh they're cleaning things up they're they're the good ones mm-hmm. they're you know i mean like there's a lot of uh, even even in this documentary listening to a couple of the people speak there's there's a lot of racism inherent and you know i i, I can't be sure that there's not some inherent in the way the whole case was managed but i didn't get that far into it but um regardless this was a cult right it was the same midwestern cult or southern cult or whatever california cult played out in an urban environment in miami um and so uh you know people hear though about this this community that he's creating and it's in a time when nobody's creating community for a whole big swath of people and so they start moving there in droves to join this guy and um like he gets popular enough he buys fleets of greyhound buses and paints you know the the nation of yahweh on the side and goes on tour evangelizing and asking people to come join him at the temple of love and they come and um one of his preachings is no drugs no prostitution you know you keep your body clean you keep your temple clean his followers all dressed in white. They they wear turbans. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. I think I, and, I've seen some of yeah. this. Yes. And so and and once again, the crime goes down in these in these areas because of the fact that he's got groups of men, groups of Yahweh's wandering the streets enforcing these rules about purity and the way you should behave so if somebody messes with a yahweh like steals somebody's purse or something like the community itself will run this guy down but you know if they you know if there's nobody to stop them and the yahweh's the enforcement squad hears out about it they will literally go and hunt down whoever did them wrong and they will deal with them in broad daylight 
So like you've, you're not only a cult, but like a mafia cult, right? That's like growing up here in Miami in these, in these communities. So, um, yeah, it's just really, it's, it's, it's the same story, but it's weird. So one of the things that Yahweh does is he, Yahweh ben Yahweh separates the men from the women. Everybody has like men and women have distinct quarters, different buildings that they live in. Even families are separated, you know, that way. And so everything because that's is that's what also, they do in a the cult. They that's separate, what they do in a cult. They isolate so everybody. Everything is really regimented. He tells yep. them to sleep at certain times, work at certain times. You know, it's it's like a lot that we've talked about. He he told the men that sex was only for making babies and that they had to withhold sex from their wives to kind of show their holiness. And um, then he'd give the elders, the, the men who he trusted, he'd give them, and these were all men, the elders were, a plane ticket and some tracts and send them to Atlanta or New Jersey or Philadelphia or St. Louis and um, tell them, go to the streets, bring me new people. And this is part of your duty. So while they're gone, Yahweh Ben Yahweh has the wives and the kids of those men come live with him in his quarters. Mm-hmm. Do as so, I say, not as I do. Exactly. So it's not that long before some discerning folks who have come to join him, like idealistic folks, um, start to recognize there's some dodgy shit. And one couple who thinks that these, that the teachings and the behavior, I guess, more of not, not as much the teachings, I think, but the behavior of, uh, of Yahweh Ben Yahweh is problematic is this couple, um, Carlton Carey and Mildred Banks. So they're both really sweet people. And, um, they've been in the church basically since he started trying to gather people together. They're both soft-spoken, but they're leaders. And so they have a lot of people who, you know, follow them, you know, in the microcosm of this little universe and rumors start that they're going to start a new church and take a bunch of Yahweh's with them. So, um, on November 13th, 1981, Banks and Carrie's roommate, Aston Green, who is also in the Yahweh church, is found dead in the Everglades. Oh, and wow. His body is terribly bruised. There are shoe prints on his clothes from where he'd been jumped on. And his head is nearby. And, you know, oh, the, police, the police say that they're, you know, wow. we, we always have bodies in the Everglades. But they're like, the reason that they have them there is because people want to get rid of them. Right. And they want the alligators guy, to eat them. Exactly. And this guy was positioned like on a walking trail with his head right there. And they were like, they're obviously sending a message by the way that this body was left here. Um, so Banks and Carrie, who, you know, this was their roommate. They think somebody in the always has something to do with this. Um, they go to the police to discuss this suspicion, but they don't have any concrete evidence to give them so they go home and there's an ambush waiting for them at their house the phone lines have been cut at the house carrie is shot and stabbed with a machete he's he dies on in the property um mildred banks is cut across her neck with a machete and somehow survives which is they give more details in the documentary and i won't give them here but i mean it's it's really shocking that she survives um but when she comes out and is healing and is able to talk to the police, she can't identify anyone like mm. positively. And she she keeps pointing to the temple of love, but the police can't get enough information for a warrant. So they can't go in and do any investigation. Because so, a cult. Because cult. So right. Yahweh Ben Yahweh keeps going and the nation keeps growing. And after the attack on on um, Carlton Carey and Mildred Banks, he preaches a lot about hypocrites all of a sudden. 
Um, but <clears throat> by the mid 1980s, he's still going. Yahweh Ben Yahweh is worth $250 million. He ingratiates himself with public officials like the mafia does. He offers up his supporters as block voters because he knows that whatever he says, they'll do. So they'll vote for whoever he says that they should vote for because wow. he's God. Mm. And um, so the politicians are like falling over themselves, courting him because he, they know that he can just like snap his fingers and deliver a winning vote. Mm -hmm. So um, one former member of the Yahweh said that um, he sent all the Yahweh's out every night to collect donations. I think they probably mean the men, but each person had to collect $10 of donations every night, which doesn't seem like a big thing, except when you're like in a growing community and the people around you are the same people. Every single night. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So eventually it doesn't take long for you to get to the point where you're not going to be able to deliver that $10 a day. That's $70 a week. Yeah. That's a lot. And so uh, there was a... Not that a, you can't do math, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. Well, there, there was a guy named Khalil Amani um, who talked about his experience. Like he, he came home without his $10 one time and they said, um, you have to go to the room of understanding, which I was like, I was at Harry Potter all of a sudden instead of not the room of requirement right. room of understanding. Um, not the room of love because not it's the a whole room of love. Other no. different experience. Because <laughs> in the room of understanding, you have to get on your knees on a, a solid concrete floor and you have to sit up as straight as you can. And if you bend, you get smacked with a stick. If you try and rest or try and slump your shoulders at all, you get smacked with a stick. And um, you can be in there for two hours to two days, depending on the severity of what it is that you failed to do for Yahweh. I would fail Yahweh. immediately. There's this guy no went into this room. Back I know, right? Problem. It sounds, because, you know, it. and a lot of people talk about like, oh, well, it's just you on your knees. That's not so bad. Can you imagine though, actually like no. being on a concrete floor on your no. knees? They no. would be raw. They would bleed. I can't they even. I'd be like, you need to go to the room of fuck you. I'm out. Yes, exactly. I can barely bend down on a carpeted floor like that. Like, to get so, uh, something off the floor. So, you know, all this stuff is continuing to go on. Yahweh Ben Yahweh continues to expand. So he goes beyond Miami. You know, they're out, they are kind of offshoots in, in different cities and they say in different countries around the world. On, but, um, you know, he, he wanted to kind of extend his physical like headquarters footprint. And so they were like, well, let's try branching out into Delray Beach. And um, at the time, and, you know, also in Florida, and at the time, there was a lot of crime and poverty in that neighborhood, also another predominantly Black neighborhood. So on May 20th, 1986, the Yahweh's decide they're going to go door to door on Delray Beach and try and get support for, you know, basically buying this community, which is what they'd done before. And this guy's from Oklahoma. That just kills me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and um, and so from Oklahoma. I know, right? And these Yahweh's get run out of town by the people of Delray Beach. And um, immediately after this happens, you know, the Yahweh's go home. Someone firebombs the homes that the Yahweh's visited in Delray Beach. Like, and people okay. die. Like, a baby is burned in a crib because of this firebomb. Like, they... Okay, and back up. Sorry. So they go visit the homes. They go visit the homes, do door to door, and the people in the neighborhoods were like, "No, thank you." Like, no. no, get the fuck out. We don't want right. you. And so and they the, retaliate. They retaliate. Wow. And the same guy who who talked about the room of understanding, um, 
Khalil Amani, he hears about this firebombing and he knows what has happened. And he goes to the FBI and it's been, you know, he, he's kind of wanted to for a long time, but he hasn't done it as a former member of the voice. He goes to the FBI and he talks to them. Turns out he was, he also was the person who was standing guard when the head of security at um, the nation of Yahweh beat Aston Green to death, nearly to death in 1981, the kid who was found in the Everglades. Right. And he saw them take his body away. So this gives the FBI kind of an in to start looking at this stuff so he saw them beat him and then th- he, he didn't, didn't see them kill he him. heard them beat uh, him but he didn't see. see them kill him and um so you know he's telling stories about how like the the preaching at the temple of yahweh was a celebration of you know the fact that this guy had disappeared the day after he had disappeared like they didn't actually even know he was dead yet and so he's like yeah it's a little there's too much coincidence here um, but this still, is also a classic organized crime thing to do. Only yeah. every person, people are on a need to know basis and they know yes. limited information so they cannot implicate other mm-hmm. people. And, um, or, you know, and that's why, you know, so we have one partial eyewitness basically. So they still don't have corroboration. The FBI can't go after them yet. So Yahweh Ben Yahweh keeps going and the nation keeps growing. So, in September 1986, a man named Raymond Kelly is found murdered in his car in Miami. He's um, been stabbed to death and his ears have been severed. And his glasses had been put back on his face after his ears were removed. How, how they stab so his face. It's clearly set up as a message. Like yeah. they clearly are doing this on purpose. <laughs> I know. I, my ears hold up my glasses. Face while she said, did how, they tape how they stay on his head <laughs> his nose but, uh, I guess so. this isn't funny this is murder I'm sorry. i know i'm sorry i don't wear glasses so it's a legitimate, I even think it's about a legitimate that. question <laughs> tequila it's a legitimate question um okay seriousness i'm sorry so, he, so uh he's so they think it's set up to be a message and there's also been a gun stolen from this guy's glove box. So it seems like it's, you know, this whole ear thing, the detectives are like, um, let's go to the medical examiner and find out if anybody else has been found this way in the last little while. Um, so they find two white males who had both been killed several months before ears removed. Uh-huh. By the end of 1986, nine people had been found this way. Oh my God. So definite pattern, definite, like definite pattern. Yeah. Um, And then there was another. So in late in that year, late in 86 in October in Opelika, Florida, the Yahweh's do decide to expand. They buy a block of apartment buildings there. And I guess they don't feel like the people who live there are pure enough to be Yahweh's because they just start forcibly moving people out of the apartments. The second that they sign the you know the deeds they go and start trying to move people's furniture with no notice no nothing um and so the residents like throw a fit like you would have to right right um there's all this news coverage there's a local lawyer named um barbara goolsby that says well this you can't do this this is illegal so she calls yahweh ben yahweh and she asks for court order to you know what how what kind of you know authority do you have to do this and two of her clients, Anthony Brown and Rudy Bassard, get on TV um, because this has made a big hubbub and it's on a lot of the news stations locally. And they trash talk the Yahwehs because the Yahwehs have been in and out of the neighborhood since, you know, this buying and they're the ones trying to get rid of people. Right. So that same night that these guys show up on TV, there's a shooting at the apartment buildings and the only two victims are 
Anthony Brown and Rudy Bassard, who trashed the Yahweh's on TV, is horrifying. And um, so the Yahweh's are claiming that there's some like hit and run rando that came in and did this, but this time there are witnesses throughout the apartment complex, and police are searching it and they find a guy dressed in white like a Yahweh running through the woods that night and they arrest him and they fingerprint him and his name is um, Richard Regier and he's a former football player he's had lots of problems with drugs in his past he had joined the Yahweh's and he got in trouble with Yahweh Ben Yahweh according to the members of the group for using drugs and a lot of people said he well he's kicked out you know he pissed Yahweh Ben Yahweh off because he wasn't pure and he got kicked out but um, Regier was found with two guns on his person, and one of them was the murder weapon from that apartment building shooting, and the other was the gun taken from Raymond Kelly's car, the first guy that they found without his ears. So um, he tells police, Yahweh Ben Yahweh ordered the ear murders, he ordered the shooting, he ordered the firebombing of Delray Beach. And he says he wasn't ever kicked out of the Yahweh's. He was being used for special tasks. So there was a certain group of people that were being pulled called the death angels that were the enforcers that would do anything from, you know, driving cars to murdering folks. That's why I had to tell certain people of my family to not flip other people off in their cars <laughs> i was like because people be crazy okay i was like you just need to keep your fingers to yourself because <laughs> people be crazy and it's people like that you know Man. you do not know who you are dealing with those mm-hmm. people did oh that is horrifying well, and this is you know and there are a couple other places like i said there was kind of weird a weird tone in some of the coverage of this stuff that like you can't question there there had to have been racial overtones oh, in yeah. all of the investigation all of this stuff but um you know it talked about how the ears they took so they said or richard Razier said that yahweh ben yahweh wanted quote white devils killed in retribution t- for things they'd done to the black community which you know, I'm like, oh, is he just that sounds racially playing into a stereotype? Yeah, that like, sounds what's like he a trying stereotype. to do? Um, but um, you know, he said you have to take the ears as a trophy to show him that you've completed your job, to show him that you've completed the killing. Um, and most of the guys that they killed were like indigent homeless guys. But you know, all the followers of Yahweh Ben Yahweh just insist that Razier is a crazy asshole and he got kicked out and he did all this by himself and he's just trying to push blame over on somebody else. So, um, you know, all this happens, Yahweh Ben Yahweh hires an attorney that says, you know, open up the doors to the media, show everybody that you're good stuff, show everybody that you do such good things. And he's such a um, charismatic, you know, you don't become a cult leader without being a charismatic person. Right. And so he, he manages to kind of open the kimono and show them, you know, the prettiest <laughs> bits. And, uh, And the funny thing, I mean, because he also did create jobs. He also did, you know, cut crime in the community. Bring in a billion dollars a year to Phoenix City, Alabama. Exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, there was legit stuff that they had done right that people were like oh yeah well these guys must be fine they could never do that other stuff mm-hmm. you know which again you guys were just saying like it's it's a mafia 101 is that you you get people on your side make yourself kind of indispensable and do real yeah. stuff and integrate into the community get caught so um the fbi said 
it was it was really really tough to prosecute him because he was like Manson. He gave orders, but he never directly participated. Also a mafia thing, right? Right. You give orders, but you're not the one who gets your hands dirty. Yep. And so, um, so Janet Reno was the uh, state attorney in Florida at the time. She didn't want to prosecute him because he'd cut crime. And while he was being investigated for all these murders, the and mayor he'd also of Miami, cut you. But right? <laughs> while he was under investigation, the mayor of Miami created a Yahweh Ben Yahweh Day and gave him the key oh to the city. God. Yes. Holy shit! I did say he was worth two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, right? like, you know what people see. People just see the money. So wow. <clears throat> but um, so then though so they've had all this all these problems trying to find a way to get just break through this they really really want to get get charges on him and then suddenly they managed to get sworn testimony from a yahweh that um that hulan mitchell had trained people to apply for welfare as single moms while uh-huh. really their husbands were just living in a separate quarters and then give they they get it and then they give their checks to the temple they give them straight to him and um, this they can prosecute. This is racketeering. Right. And so this they can do something about. Created for the mafia. The mafia. <laughs> Wise racketeering. The Rico Lies exactly. Rico even a thing. And um, so, in, and again, you know, I read that and I'm like, I really struggle with this because, man, if they want to take a black dude down in the 80s in Miami, they're going to tell him he's fucking around with welfare. You know, right. I mean, like, uh, yeah, that's no, another, I'm just like, no, it's like with white know, people, man. you go after taxes, you know, with black yeah. people, it's welfare. And that was such a the welfare queen stereotype was such a huge fucking thing in the yeah, 80s. It, it was like in the everything. 80s. It was everything. all over the place. So, yes. so, you know, it's like part of me is like, I, uh, yeah, it's you know, horrible. It, it's they may horrible. have really wanted this guy enough to have planted some yeah. shit to get him, but, yeah. um, you know, who knows? And he also could have done this, you know, he, he also could have done it. So who knows? But, um, so anyway, racketeering, um, 1990 Yahweh Benyawi was arrested while on tour in his Greyhound, Greyhound buses, staying at the Monteleone hotel in new Orleans. They had to call him to come down and meet them in the lobby. The FBI agent Herb cousins was like, um, I would love it if we could just do this peacefully. And so he just came down and met them and got arrested. Um, but so him and 16 others were charged with running a criminal enterprise under Rico. Um, and one of those charged that this was just like a random aside, but one of the guys charged was um, Maurice Woodside, who is also known as Michael Simonette, who was interviewed in the documentary wearing a, a T-shirt that said blacks for Trump. And I was just like, it was just so like noticeable that I had to look the guy up when I was looking up some other stuff. This guy ended up getting off on all charges, by the way. He goes on to start calling himself Michael the Black Man. And he is that guy at all the Trump rallies that was standing right behind Trump with a big sign in the air that said Blacks for Trump. That's Michael Simonette. He is a former Yahweh who went on, who got charged with these crimes with Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Um, Holy shit. So he was one of the 16 He was one people? of the 16 charged and he also he went on to like so he, he was spoke for Rick Santorum's campaign. He now runs a radio station and several conspiracy theory websites and that's how he makes his living now. Just so you know, can't make that shit up. Well, um, where are y'all? I mean, come on, look where he came from. God, I know. And he's also like 100% Yahweh Ben Yahweh didn't do this. This is all Richard Rozier. He made it all up. Um 
So Yahweh ben Yahweh is found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, but didn't get found guilty of racketeering. So his sentence was lower. Um, he had a five month federal trial and the nation of Yahweh was apparently the only church at the time that was ever indicted as a racketeering enterprise. Um, he was sentenced to 18 years in prison. And as the federal verdict was being rendered, state police were standing right outside waiting to arrest him on state murder charges for oh. the ear killings. So as oh. soon as his, his trial was over, the state took him under arrest and put him on trial again. And this time the defense just ate Richard Regier for breakfast. They said, you know, this guy who murdered these folks in this apartment complex has absolutely no credibility. He's the, he got immunity for this. You know, they, he, oh. he's a psychopath. He's always had these mental problems. He's never been able to hold a job. He's a liar. He's just turning his problems onto somebody else. So, so Yahweh ben Yahweh was a not guilty verdict on those state murder charges. He went on and served 11 years of that federal sentence um, for conspiracy, and he was released um, at the age of 71, but he passed away just a year after that of cancer. He was already sick when he was released. So Yahweh still believe that he is innocent, that like somebody was quoted as you can't convict God is what they said. Um, the nation apparently wow. still exists. There's a new reincarnation, maybe, of Yahweh oh. ben Yahweh, who calls himself Yahweh ben Yahweh ben Yahweh. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yahweh cubed. <laughs> Yahweh cubed. But um, it's, it's a distributed uh, situation now. Instead of just central with the headquarters and the building, you know, and the neighborhoods and stuff, they, they say that they have, you know, they, they're everywhere. <laughs> And um, they Cults. claim to have millions of followers around the world, but the SPLC, and this is one of the things I was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, some of this stuff is legit. If the SPLC has said identified some you as a hate them, group, has identified them as, as a racist <laughs> group, um, stating that they believe that um, the black, mm -hmm. black people are the true Israelites, white people are devils. That's one of the things in the teachings. Um, let's see. Oh, that, that the SPLC says that um, Yahweh ben Yahweh had views that were similar to like the Aryan movement, just mm -hmm. on the opposite, opposite side. End. So, and the um, you know the Anti Defamation League too has them in the crosshairs. So, you know, not not a great, not a great belief system for everybody. Um, I mean, you got two hundred and fifty million dollars in like how many years? Like I don't two, know. I was I really three? would like to know where some of you that can't be yeah. doing that legitimately. I'm no. sorry. No, I, there's just no he, way. He's been pocketing all his money from his traveling faith healer experience. Not that, not that the, not that the wealthy people as of like our former president were ever doing it <laughs> the right way either. And <laughs> I'm not saying you know there has to be some criminal activity going mm -hmm. on. Oh so yeah. it's racketeering or what I wow i had no idea that's yeah i didn't fascinating weird. and scary <laughs> cults scare the shit out of me man i'm like i get obsessed you can tell i get obsessed about it because i'm mm -hmm. always like but it's so into you're like it's the same every time every time <laughs> it's textbook mm-hmm but I still, I'm just, it fascinates me though. I guess. Oh, yeah. I agree. You know, me too. Partly because I was raised religious. And so I'm just always. <laughs> in another cult. Where's the edge of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like who's in the cult? Yes. How many? Mm -hmm. So that's my story. Wow. Yay. Excellent. Yay.
thank we you all some oh yeah go ahead yes thank you so much yes I'm just gonna... yes say it <laughs> You say, say it. it. You said. I was just going. Thank everybody for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We've had some tequila. We have a lot. <laughs> we appreciate. Oh, you know what? I was thinking of a while there. We were trying to figure out because we are. I am so bad at like saying goodbye or shutting. What's our down. sign off? We've oh talked shit! About that that was our sign off. off thing. And I was thinking. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking our sign off needs to be okay. Well, let us let you go. <gasps> let us let you let me let you go now. That's it. Let me let let me That's let you it. go now. All right. Let y'all. us let you go now. We'll talk to you later. Let us let you go. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs>